My wife, Corey, and I are in one of the amazing life groups that our, our church offers. And our life group met last night. And uh, what we do for our life group is that every time we gather, we have a food theme. Okay? Because I like to eat. So we have a food theme, and everybody in the life group brings one dish to help support that theme. So um, two meetings ago, it was breakfast. Breakfast for dinner. Right? Some of you just got hungry. All right, I understand that. It was great. It was awesome. So at two meetings ago, at the end of it, somebody said, hey, what do we want to do for the food theme next time? And nobody spoke in like the next two seconds, which meant that I got to give my opinion. So I was like, Mexican. Because if any void is ever there about what kind of food we're going to eat, Mexican, I'll just choose that. So we did Mexican last night. So my wife made some salsa and, man, she made these chicken enchiladas that were ridiculously good and but we had to stop on the way to our life group to pick up paper plates. We needed some paper plates. And so, um, you know, we, there was no Walmart or any grocery store like right there on the way. So we stopped at a Walgreens. Okay, so I'm, I'm just going to run in, get the paper plates, and pay more than I want to pay for paper plates at Walgreens. But that's okay, and I'm going to come back to the car, and we're going to be on time to our life group. So I walk in. And I'm going in and I'm looking for paper plates. And then my wife comes in after me and says, oh, and we also need some like chips, like Tostitos chips or that's like the name brand, but whatever they're Mexican chips. We need those kind of chips. I'm like, all right. So now we're getting paper plates and Mexican chips. Okay. Two things. That's all we're getting. Except that we get those two things and we're walking out of the store and we see, and when I say we, I mean, she sees a sign that says if you spend $15 on Coke products, you get a $5 coupon for anything of your choosing ever, like in the history of the world. You just can spend that $5 anywhere you want to. So we came in for paper plates, and then we added chips, and now we have to buy $15 worth of Coke products. Okay? So we go to the Coke aisle, all right? And, I mean, I'm a math whiz, so... We go to the Coke aisle and the two, you know, you can buy two 12 packs or you can get a 12 pack of cans for $5.49 a piece. Okay. That's a lot. I get that. Because sometimes I go to like Kroger and they're like 40 cents or something. I don't know what they are, but less than that. But I'm like, well, we've got to get $15 to get the voucher here. So we, you know, that's okay. less of those makes more money. So I'm like, okay. But we were also going to life group. So we were like, well, we'll get a couple of two liters. Maybe we can use some of those at the life group and then, you know, a couple at our house. So those were $1.89 a piece for the two liter. Again, a lot of money. I get that. But we're trying to get to $15. I don't care what they cost. I got to get to $15, all right? I mean, now this is a competition, right? So I've got to get this. So, all right, so I'm thinking, okay, so if we get two of the 12 packs for $5.49, give or take, that's 11 bucks. okay? So at $1.89... For the two liters, I need maybe two of those, you know, three of those maybe. So I've got about two bucks in the two, and that's four and 11. That's about 15. I'm thinking tax probably counts in the $15 evaluation, you know, math problem that we've got going on here. So we take all that, the two two liters and the two 12 packs, to the counter with the paper plates and the Mexican chips. We walk up. Lady scans all of our items in. We put in our little Walgreens card. And so we get to the end, and she gives us the total, and... Not only were we supposed to get a $5 like coupon, we were also supposed to get like 3,000 points. I don't even know what the points go for. Like, I don't know if you can buy airline tickets with these. I have no idea what you can do with Walgreens tickets. But we were supposed to get 3,000 of those too, and we didn't get them. 
Like we looked at our receipt. We did not get the 3,000 points, nor did it print out a $5 voucher of any kind. So I'm a little confused. At this point, it's a competition, and I've failed the competition. My math has been a little off. At some, I'm not, the tax doesn't count. Another thing that I didn't realize until we looked at the receipt is if you bought multiples of the Coke products, they became cheaper per item. So instead of being $5.49 for the 12-packs, if you bought two of them, they were only $4.99 a piece. And instead of being $1.89 per 2-liter of Coke, if you bought two of them, they became $1.25 a piece. So I'm, now we've only spent like $4 on Coke products, I think. Like I, I, I don't, I'm like, how is this even – you're giving me money to buy these Cokes? I don't know how this works. So I, I'm like, all right, so we've already paid, right? So it takes a, a, a person from NASA to come to do the, the return because we're getting the $5 voucher, all right? So we're going to return them and buy more Coke, more than $5 worth of Coke that we did not intend to spend to get a $5 voucher. I've never understood that math. If we spend $1,000, we get 4% off. I don't know how that works. Okay, so Corey runs back to the Coke aisle, gets another Coke. Which, at this point, my math's definitely right. That's definitely going to put us over the edge, right? So she comes, gets the, gets the Coke, and the lady, here's how Walgreens works. And if you work at Walgreens, I am so sorry you have to do this. Instead of just scanning the receipt like they do at Walmart, like Walmart will take anything back. It's like, oh, a diaper with poop in it. I don't know how that happened. Just take it back. All right. So don't try that. They don't really like that. I've, never mind. So, so this lady has to scan the receipt. And then she has to scan each individual item on that receipt. And then she has to manually put in what that item costs, as if the computer can't do that math for her. And so she's scanning it in, and then she's scanning the item, and then she's putting in that Coke was $1.25. And she goes through the whole thing. She gets to the end, and she's like, okay, do you want this back on your, your, your debit card? And, and she said, well, you know what? Don't do that because it will take a couple days to go back on your card, and you're about to buy this. I'll just do cash. She hits void. Oh, my Lord. We had to start all over. She had voided out all of the return process, right? So we start over again. She voids everything out. She gets to the end of that process, and then she rescans all of the items, the 37,000 things of Coke products and the paper plates and the Mexican chips. And guess what? We were still short on the Coke products. Because when you buy three two liters, they become even lower. They're just playing games with me now, all right? So the lady's like, but wait, I have not, you haven't paid for it this time, so why don't you run get another one? Because that's what I want to do, right? I want to sprint through Walgreens to go get another two liter, but I did because I want to make my wife happy, and she's wanting that $5 voucher. So I go running to the Coke aisle, and I grab another two liter. We scan it in, and we're over the $15 limit, okay? Scans it in. Receipt prints out. <laughs> We got the 3,000 points, but for some reason, the $5 voucher just would not print out. So at this point, I've lost like three years off my life. We walk out to the car. We open up the trunk of our van, our minivan. It's a swagging wagon or whatever. We're just really cool space there. And in the back of the van is where I have all the baseball equipment for my son's baseball team that I coach. We, we played yesterday. We won. Thank you very much. We get to the end. I pull the trunk open to put all the stuff in there. And the bucket of baseballs falls out. And the baseballs just run all over the Walgreens parking lot. I can't get them. I'm holding more Coke than my body weight, right? So I'm holding Cokes. I mean, I'm like trying to catch a ball and hold a bucket. And Corey's sprinting, running, catching 
There was a, a str- he could have been an angel. I don't even know where he appeared from. He just starts picking baseballs up and throwing them in buckets. And we're stacking it all in the back of the van, closing the van, getting back in the van. And at this point, I don't want to see another person, but I got to go to life group. Right? This was what our, and this has little to nothing to do with the message today. I just needed to get this off my chest. No, what was that? That was a story. It was a real, true story. And stories are powerful. I mean, we, we watch our favorite television shows because there's a storyline that we've been following. Who's going to end up dating? Who? Who, you know, goes to this place? Who does this incredible thing? There's a plot. And we're following the storylines to see how the plot, you know, kind of continues to evolve. We go to movies and we pay way too much for tickets. And then we buy like the world's, you know, most expensive popcorn. And I mean, we just go because of the stories. We want to see the stories. Stories are important. So here's what I want you to do, okay? This is interactive today. I want you to turn to the person beside you. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. You have 30 seconds to tell them a story of something that's happened in your life in the last seven days. Okay? Then when you finish, they have 30 seconds to tell you a story. Please do not go like three and a half minutes. It's just going to interrupt our time. 30 seconds apiece. You got to tell something that's happened in the last seven days. Ready, set, go. Go. Today we are starting a brand new three-week series called The Challenge. The next three weeks we're going to look at this a couple of stories out of the New Testament. The New Testament is not the second half. It's not broken into halves, but the second part of the Bible. And we're going to look at three specific stories out of the New Testament. And really today, as we start, we're talking about story. We're talking about your story. And we're going to talk about some things that really connect us to the to the central mission of our faith. And for whatever reason, and again, I don't, I don't want to you know, kind of fluff it off. I really do believe that God's kind of been at work in me and, and in us as a body. But for whatever reason, over the last few weeks and even months, we've talked a lot about this mission. We've talked a lot about the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. These, this will be up on the screen. But in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says to his closest followers, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so we're going to talk over the next three weeks really out of this context of this mission that we have. This challenge that Jesus gives to his disciples. He gives his followers. He's already come to the earth. He's already lived. He's taught. He's done miracles. He's died on the cross, right? He's been raised from the dead. He's come come alive after being dead and in this tomb for three days, which we'll celebrate in just like four weeks for Easter. It's crazy. We're already that close to Easter. And so he's he's raised from the dead, and then he's appeared to to many of his followers. Paul accounts that he appeared to maybe 500 or so people after his resurrection. And so we're going to talk out of this context about this challenge that he issues to his disciples And we're going to look at three stories in the New Testament that really help us to understand what this challenge looks like and how it impacts you and I. But, you know, the disciples heard this. You know, Jesus says to them, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he gives them this incredible promise. He says, and I'm with you. I'm not sending you off. I am with you in this. I want you to go and do this mission Take this challenge that I'm giving to you and I'm going to go with you. But you go and make disciples, right? Go make. Those are verbs. Go and do something. And so he he gives this to the disciples and then this really incredible thing happens. 
they do it. They go and make disciples. And here's how they do that. They take what they've seen, right? Because the word therefore, right before the word go, or therefore, it's a transition word. It, it kind of, it connects this passage and then really the, the, the next part, the, the, the book of Acts. If you were to take this as kind of the end of this gospel book, and there are three other gospels that follow it. But if you take kind of the end of this passage and then you connect it to Acts chapter 1, which is kind of what comes after the gospels. You take this, you say, hey, Jesus lived and he, and then he died and then he ascended back to the Father in, in short order right after this. And so this connects what we've seen to what's going to happen. Right? And, and what he's commissioning us to do. So he says, therefore, in response to what you've seen and heard. That's what the word therefore can, can mean there. Therefore, in response to what you've seen, what you've heard, the miracles you watched me perform, the teachings that you watched me do, the things that happened, the healings, all the things that were happening. You watched me die on a cross. You watched me raised from the dead. In response to all of that, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And what did they do? They began going and making disciples. And here's, here's how they did it. It was a really incredible formula, right? They just took what they had seen and heard and they told people about it. I mean, they were eyewitnesses. This, this group here, they were eyewitnesses to the things that Jesus had done. And they took those eyewitness accounts, like I witnessed with my eyes. I spy with my little eyes, Jesus doing miracles. And then they told a bunch of people about it, Right? I'm just, I'm going to tell people what I've seen and heard. I'm going to take what I've observed, what Jesus did in the lives of people, and I watched it happen, and I'm going to take that, and I am going to help tell that story and proclaim that story. I'm going to go and make disciples. We see this very clearly in Acts chapter 2, where the, the, the disciples, they've gathered together with a bunch of other people. Holy Spirit comes on them. They come out of the upper room, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks. And then they just begin proclaiming. They begin speaking in tongues. They begin proclaiming in the nations of the world, uh, the languages of the nations of the world, what this message was. And then Peter, like Peter, the same guy who was a failure when it came to standing up for Jesus and standing with Jesus when Jesus needed a friend. Right? Jesus is going to the cross and they're looking at Peter and they're like, hey, weren't you one of the guys that went with him? And he's like, no, not me. Right. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm really sure I've seen. You. And he's like, nope, not me. This like guy that kind of cowered. He, he, he kind of fell away and he, he wasn't really there. And he did. He, he kind of alienated himself. No, I'm not a part of Jesus and his movement. Then we see in Acts chapter two, Peter steps up. And he's like, hey, here's the message of the gospel. Here's 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 the gospel in a nutshell. Repent. Be baptized. Repent of the things that you've done and proclaim that through a public profession of faith and baptism. I mean, there, there is this incredible thing that happens. They just took Jesus at his word and this challenge and this mission, and they began to tell the stories that they heard. We talked about this several weeks ago when we talked about the early church. We talked about the ecclesia. This gathering of God's people, they would gather together, encourage one another, be with one another, study God's word, worship together. Take, take communion together. And then they would, they would spread out. Then they would leave that place. They would gather together. They would scatter apart. And they would tell people what they had seen and heard. And somewhere along the way, we, got, we just lost that part of the mission. For many of us, we lost the aspect of, I am going to tell my story in response to the commands of Jesus to go and make disciples. 
We just kind of dropped off this part of I play a part in telling what Jesus Christ did in my heart, did in my life, what I've observed. Like I specifically have observed Jesus doing in my life or in the life of my family or in my finances or on my job. I've watched Jesus do this and I need to tell you about it. And you know what it's turned into? Instead of that, instead of telling my story, you know what it's turned into? It's turned into evangelism tracks. It's turned into the guy that was in the Kroger shopping center parking lot last night, just screaming at the top of his lungs, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's turned into, you need to not go and make disciples. It's turned into us as the church yelling at the world. You need to come to get into more of our discipleship classes and be discipled so that you can become a disciple. Right? And here's the thing. All three things that I just mentioned are good things. I don't think evangelism tracks are bad. I don't think the guy last night was doing anything other than what he felt like. Hey, I just want to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. I don't think discipleship classes are bad. We have some. I love them. I think they help you to grow. But I don't know that any of those three things were what Jesus was actually commanding his disciples in Matthew 28. Because in their purest form, all of those things and a bunch of other things are really, really incredible. Because why would you create some type of evangelism track? You would create it because you wanted to have a tool to hand to people that would explain the gospel in an easy to understand format. Why would a man stand on a street corner with a sign? Or why would he stand in a parking lot of a public business and, and yell at the top of his lungs, you know, the gospel message? Why? Because he wants to make sure that everybody that's walking into and out of Kroger hears the message of the gospel, that they need to repent. Why do we have discipleship classes? Because we want you to study and grow and learn more of God's word. But somehow... Those things don't always connect because there's something that just kind of gets lost in translation. The purest form, the purest meaning, the the original motivation and rationale for creating those tools, for doing those things, gets lost in translation. It kind of, it gets lost in in, in someone's attempt to to utilize that. I'll give you a, a perfect example, perfect example in my own neighborhood this last Halloween, Okay. And if you did this, I am not condemning you at all. I just want you to know what our experience was. Okay? I got four kids. Me and my wife, we have four kids. Eight, six, three, and 20 months. All right? Three boys and a little girl. We went out for Halloween. We went to, you know, through the neighborhood. They were dressed up. We had one that dressed up like Justin Bieber. I'm so sorry for that. We had one that dressed up like a Power Ranger. We had one that dressed up like Mickey Mouse. And then Kenley dressed up like what? A ladybug. All right, man, they were cute. I should have put a picture up there. You would just cry. They're so beautiful. But we go out through the neighborhood and you know, you know how Halloween works. You send the kids out to get as much candy. You take a portion off the top. You let them have all the just junk candy, right? I stayed in our driveway to hand out candy and Corey and her mom and some other sister, they they took the kids out and, and went out in the neighborhood. They get home. And I mean, like, it's like Christmas morning because they're dumping stuff out and they're trying to see what they got. And they got Reese's and they got all kinds of really cool ones. They got some that people kind of made and wrapped in napkins and foil. And we're using those as doorstops now. But, you know, whatever. And they dumped it out. And there were like a couple of baggies, like Ziploc baggies. And in the Ziploc baggie was a thing that looked like a counterfeit dollar bill. And on the counterfeit dollar bill, there, there was like the message of salvation. Okay, listen, I, 
I want people to know the message of salvation. My kids did not understand why when they went to the house and said, trick or treat, give me something good to eat. They got a piece of paper in a Ziploc baggie, right? For them, the message was lost in translation. Like what the person was trying to do, man, we'll have more people come to our house than any other time of the year. We want to proclaim the good news of the gospel. We're going to put this in so it goes into their homes. And when they're opening candy, you know, they'll look at this, they'll read it. They'll think, man, this is, I need to experience the message of salvation. You know what my kids did? They open it up and they're looking, they're like, okay, Reese's, 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 what is this? Can I spin this? No, this is not real. Okay. And then they just pushed it to the side because for them, and I, I, they love God, and I mean, we're trying to raise them right, and we're, you know, there's one or two of them. No, I'm just kidding, but we're trying to raise them right, right? But here's the deal. They, they just kind of pushed it to the side. Because for them, they were looking for one thing, and someone gave them something else. They were looking for something very specific. In this instance, it was candy, and what they got was something different. Now, again, please don't hear what I'm not saying. Double negative. I'm not saying that all those things are evil or if you like to do that or you feel like that's your mission, your calling, please continue. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in this instance, it did not connect with the audience of my kids. And I think sometimes our attempt to go and make disciples, we try to make it about other things other than being eyewitnesses to the work of Jesus Christ and proclaiming that message to the people that we come in contact with. I want to tell you a story from, from, from the New Testament. Jesus was traveling around. He was doing ministry. And and people began to hear about the things that were going on in his ministry. They kind of put on him that he was baptizing a bunch of folks. And that maybe at this point he was baptizing more folks than John the Baptist. And that's a big deal because his name actually is Baptist. And that's like a lot of people that he's baptizing to get that name. Right? That's not true. That's a joke. Okay, so Jesus is now, they're thinking, man, you're baptizing more than John. That's got to be a big deal. And so people are trying to get to him, and they're kind of clamoring for his attention, and they want to know what's going on. And so Jesus and his disciples, they kind of leave, and they're going to go somewhere else. And as they're going, they, they, they eventually kind of stop, and Jesus stops at this well. He stops there, and it's in Samaria, and he's sitting down, and there's a woman there. This story, very creative, is the woman at the well, Okay? And, and so she's there, and she's getting water, right? And so he gets into a conversation with her where the idea being, hey, will you give me some water? And she says, because she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew, and they do not engage one another. She's like, you know, you, I don't think we're supposed to do this because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, and I don't know that, can I give you water? And then Jesus begins to reveal himself to her. He says, if you knew who I was... Like, if you just had a clearer picture of who I was, you wouldn't question me asking for water. You would actually ask me for the living water. And she looks at him like he's crazy. My translation. She looks at him like like he's crazy. And she was like, you don't even have anything to get water out of the well with. How would you give me water? Are you greater than our fathers, our ancestors? Are you greater than Jacob who dug this well? Like, how are you going to get me living water? Because you don't even have a cup to go down into the well and get the water out with. They start having this conversation. And then as a part of this conversation, he says, listen to me. There's coming a time when you're going to know. Who I am. And she's talking about, she says, hey, I know when the Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, he will explain it all to us. And 
I, I love this kind of reveal moment. He says, I'm the guy you're talking about. Like the guy that you're waiting on to explain everything. That's me. If you could understand that. As a part of this conversation, he says to her, why don't you go and get your husband? Really leading question here. And she responds and says, I don't have a husband. He pounces on that and he says, you're right. Not only do you not have a husband, you've had five husbands. And the man that you're living with now, he's not your husband. Whoa. Step into that mess, right? She says, you're right. Jesus just engages her. He becomes a part of her story. He reveals the Christ to her. And I want you to look at her response to this moment. I mean, the disciples come back and they totally miss the point, which is not the first time this happens. It won't be the last. They missed it most times. They come back and they're like, hey, what are you doing talking to the Samaritan woman? You're not supposed to do that. And look at this in John chapter 4, verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. She had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And in response to that encounter, she had to go and tell people the story. I don't want to make it too simplistic here. But I'm going to make it real simple. For those of us in the room, and I realize it's not everybody. I realize there are some of you in the room that you, you've not really ever had you know, an encounter with Jesus where you've responded. You're not a believer yet. You're here and you're still trying to check this out. And that's awesome. Thank you for being here. You're always welcome here. For others of you in the room, you claim to be a believer. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, which implies that at some point in your past, there was a moment... When you encountered Jesus, he encountered you. There was some moment, and it, it, I don't know what it was for you. You could have been sitting by a well. You could have been taking your kids on a Halloween kind of trek through your neighborhood, and someone gave out a dollar bill with the plan of salvation, and you read it and responded because you knew in your heart in that moment, I need to experience this. Maybe you were walking through a Kroger parking lot and a man was screaming at the top of his lungs, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you thought, what's the kingdom of heaven? I, I think I need to be a part of that. The kingdoms of this world are disappointing me. Maybe there's something else I need to be a part of and I need to repent. And so maybe that was your response, your encounter with Jesus Christ. Maybe someone on your job or someone in your family they shared with you what God had done in their life. Maybe you were talking to them about something that was going on in your life. And they shared how God had impacted them and how God had helped to meet a need in their life. And they just talked about that. And you just, in your heart, you kind of checked something inside of you. And you said, man, if God can do that in you, I need God to do that in me. And you had a moment. Maybe you were in a church service like this or something else similar. 
And through a time of worship or a time of prayer or a sermon and an invitation, you responded to the message of the gospel. And you had an encounter with Jesus or a thousand other ways that you could have encountered him. Here's my question for you. How often do you find a way to tell that story? How many different ways can you tell that story to the people in your life who need to hear that story? How many creative ways can you couch it? How many ways that are not just obnoxious can you work it into the natural conversations, the natural flow of life that you are doing with these other people? How often are you looking for opportunities for the Holy Spirit to kind of work through you to connect to a need in someone else's life where you can say, Listen, I can't speak exactly to your situation, but let me tell you what it looked like in mine. How often are you telling your story? You know, our our vision, our mission here in this place and at our Marietta campus is we want to help people live a Christ-centered life. I mean, that's, that's, that's the core crux of we're kind of engaging life together. We're doing that, worshiping together. But the end result of that is that we want to help people live a Christ-centered life. And we do that through one of four ways. Love God. Make friends. Serve others. Others. I don't know what the shush was at the end of that. Serve others. And share the story. We're not talking about any random story. We're talking about the story of Jesus in you. Your Jesus story. And again, for those of you who are not believers in the room, maybe you don't have a Jesus story yet that you feel like you can share. Our pastor, Pastor Mark, who's the senior pastor of both campuses, he says this, and I love this. He says, if you don't have a Jesus story, you're a Jesus story in the making. I believe that. But somehow, even this facet of the Great Commission got lost in translation and we took these eyewitnesses and what they had seen and heard. And yeah, they got to see the physical, literal Jesus walking around teaching, talking. But there's a handoff to the gospel. Each generation has handed it off to the next and we get to experience the presence and power of God like we have today. And each of us claims to have had some experience, some encounter with the power of Jesus Christ, the transformational work of God in our hearts and in our lives. And so my question to you is when... Do you ever share that story? Because my fear is that we here go and make disciples and we think that's something that the church is supposed to do. But again, I mean, several weeks ago we talked, we are the church. You are the church. Jesus wasn't talking to a building when he said, go and make disciples. He was talking to individual people who had claimed to have some eyewitness experience to the message and the teachings and the knowledge of the works of Jesus Christ. And so for those of us in this room who are believers, he's talking to us. And my fear is for us is that we hear go and make disciples and we don't think it applies to us. I ran across this incredible quote. It's going to be on the screen from, from author and former pastor Francis Chan. And this is what he says. It says, Simon says, pat your head, and we pat our heads. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, and we memorize that verse. Jesus wasn't giving us something to memorize. He was issuing to us a challenge. 
to go and make disciples. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and this could totally blow up in my face, and that's okay. It wouldn't be the first time. Okay? If, if you feel like you fit this category, I want you to raise your hand. We'll ask a couple of different ones. And I, I'm, I'm very sincere here. I'm, I'm playing statistics. I'm not alienating or putting down any other method, okay? If you came to Christ, you, you experienced salvation, you were prompted towards salvation through the use of some type of evangelistic resource, a, a track, a, a pamphlet, not the Bible, something else, some additional resource. If that's how you came to Christ, would you raise your hand? Okay. If you came to Christ because you heard someone, again, like on a street corner in a parking lot, you heard them in some other venue and they were not preaching in a church, but maybe in some other venue, they were proclaiming the good news of the gospel in some way, very passionately and pleased. And that's how you came to Christ. Would you raise your hand? Okay. If you came to Christ through someone in your life telling you their Jesus story, some way, somehow, not in church, not through the the ministry of a church, but if you came through someone sharing their Jesus story with you and walking beside you and helping kind of disciple and grow and nurture you, would you raise your hand? Okay? If you came to Christ in some form or facet through the ministry of a local church, would you raise your hand? Okay? Here's a statistic for you. It will not be on the screen. 74% of Americans, just speaking to Americans right now. So Milan back there, this does not apply to you, okay? 74% of Americans came to Christ through a local church. Of the remaining 26%, 20% of them came to Christ through the relationship and the nurturing and discipling of a specific individual in their life. Most often, a family member or very close friend. It leaves a very small percentage for those who came to Christ in another avenue. And I applaud anyone who uses any method to preach the gospel. I really do. But it says to us that the clearest way to present the gospel message is either in in venues like this or through relationship. And here's another statistic about people coming to church to even hear the gospel. 80% of people come to church at the invitation of a friend or family member who attends that church. 20% show up because they saw the sign. 20% somewhere in that number show up because they got a mailer. 20% show up because they heard the name or knew about somehow. 80% of people come into a church at the invitation of a friend. 74% of people come to Christ through a local church. 20% come to Christ through a relationship with someone they know who says, I have a Jesus story, and in some capacity, I want to share it with you. So what do all those statistics tell us? It tells us that the challenge that Jesus gave to us includes you and me. It tells us that we can't sit and wait on the church to do its job. We have to be a part of the challenge and the commission and the mission of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples. We have to gather together, scatter apart, and share what it is that God's done in our life, our heart. And maybe for some of you, that's very easy and very natural. And you're going to pray, God, would you help me to share my story with someone that I know? For some of you, it could be as easy as this. Hey, what are you doing Sunday? Yeah, We're going to go to church, and then we're going to go to lunch, and we'd love to have you go to lunch with us. So we'll pick you up at 10. Or something like that, right? 
Don't even tell them about church. Just tell them you're eating lunch at 10 and stop here first. Right? I don't think that's lying. I want to ask Justin to come. We've been issued a challenge. We've been issued a commission. There is a mission of Jesus Christ to go into the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And to teach them all that he has commanded. To teach them to obey. And he says, I'm going with you. And so it makes you uncomfortable to think about talking to somebody about your faith. I'm going to be with you. And here's what some of us do in the absence of a comfort or familiarity with sharing our story. We make one up. I think there's a Bible story about this. I'll tell that. Or... You know, there's a guy in my church, and here's what Jesus did in their life, so I'll tell that story. You know what that's called in a court of law? It's called hearsay. It's inadmissible. An eyewitness cannot get on the stand and tell you something that somebody else saw and told them about. An eyewitness has to get on the stand and say, here's what I've seen. It's very difficult to dispute an eyewitness. And so I'm challenging all of you who claim to be eyewitnesses to the work of Jesus Christ in your life. But over the next couple of weeks as we lead up to Easter, and you don't have to wait till Easter, please don't. Over the next few weeks as we continue to talk about this challenge, I want you to get in on it. I I want you to tell your story. I want you to pray and ask God to help you find a way to really specifically share your story with somebody in your life. I want you to find a way to invite people to church so that they can experience the same things that you get to experience. And hopefully as we present the gospel message in these environments, they have the opportunity to respond. I'm not talking about inviting somebody that attends another church. I'm talking about the people that you know on your job, in your family, in your neighborhood who do not attend church. They don't go to church. They're not really even in a relationship with God or you don't know if they are. I'm telling you, that's who we're, that's who we're talking about. Be an eyewitness. So here's what we're going to do. Kind of quietly, reverently, but I'm, I'm very serious about this, okay? So don't tell them about your Walgreens story. I want you to turn for 30 seconds. I want the 30-second version of your Jesus story. Some of you have never shared it. You don't even know where to start. Just start with, Jeremy asked me to say this to you right now. Right? I want you to turn to the person beside you and for 30 seconds, I want you to share some, in, I mean, some form, some fashion of whatever your Jesus story looks like if you have one. And here's what I want you to do. If you're an unbeliever in the room and you say, I don't have a Jesus story, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. You just tell them, eh, I don't really want to share right now. That's okay. You come up with it, you make one up. It don't matter. Just do something. I want us to engage one another and I want us to get comfortable telling the story. Maybe you would say to them, I, I don't have a Jesus story yet. I'm still trying to check this thing out. I'm still trying to figure it all out. But for the next 60 seconds, we're going to tell two stories, one going each way. Here's my Jesus story. Ready, set, go. Here's what I want you to do. Nobody talking. I know that's hard. I want you to close your eyes. You lost an hour of sleep. Please don't go to sleep in this moment. Hang with me for just a second. I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. You just shared a portion of your Jesus story, some facet, some component of it. 
And I want you just with your eyes closed, I want you to think, who do I know? Who do I have in my life? Maybe it's somebody that lives in my house. Maybe it's somebody that I'm going to work with tomorrow. Maybe it's somebody on my street in my neighborhood. Maybe it's a friend or a family member that I'm going to see at some point in the next seven days or 14 days. I want you just to to think about them. Think about their name. See their face. Picture their face. With your eyes closed, I want you to think about that person. Just think about them. Who are they? What's their name? When are you going to see them? Nobody's looking around. Just you. look at me. That person that you were thinking about, God loves them too. God loves them too. And what if God brought you here today to hear the challenge that maybe you've heard a hundred times in your life that you would be reminded that he loves them enough to allow them to be a part of your life and you have a story to tell them. You can invite them to come here and find a Jesus story of their own. He loves them too. So consider yourself challenged. This week, in the next seven days, before you come back in this room, and if you're coming in two weeks, you don't get to cheat. Before next Sunday morning, I want you to find at least one person who you don't think, you're not judging them, you just, you don't think they're a believer. You don't think they have a relationship with Jesus Christ at this point in their life. I want you to find one person this week that you can share your Jesus story with. You have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. Don't let it be hearsay. Don't proclaim something you heard somebody else say. Tell them out of your life, out of your heart, here's what Jesus did in me. Or even more present tense, here's what Jesus is doing in me. Maybe you invite them to church, maybe you don't. You just take the opportunity to respond to what you've seen and heard and to start the process of going and making a new disciple. I want you to bow your heads. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word that just, I mean, it knifes into our heart. It just gets into us. It challenges us. It convicts us. You love the people in our lives, some of who don't even love you right now. And so my prayer is that you would help us to find a way to share our Jesus story. 
to invite some folks to church, maybe, if that's the way that we choose to respond here, but in some way to allow them the opportunity to hear about your love and the amazing grace that we've been singing about today. And so, God, help us to respond this week immediately to find a way to respond. Don't let us put it off. Give us the courage and the boldness. This is going to stretch some of us, but this is what you've called us to do. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name we pray.